Good afternoon and welcome to On the Arts, our weekly radio magazine of the performing arts here on KLW. I'm your host, David Latulipe. Well, today you'll hear from the man who invented the Schick machine, Paul Drescher, and the man who is playing in this Schick machine, Stephen Schick, for three nights at the Z-Space. You'll hear about that fascinating performance of multiple percussion instruments. Graham Lustig of Graham Lustig's The Nutcracker will tell us about that unique Oakland Ballet production. Plus, you'll hear about Potted Potter, the unauthorized Harry experience, and none other than Katya Smilnovskaya and her alter ego, Conrad Frank, will tell you about the new conservatory theater company presenting Katya, a holiday spectacular. Coming up after this news update from the BBC. Stay with us. I'm Stuart McIntosh with the BBC News. Hello. The Republican-led U.S. House of Representatives has voted to formally authorize its impeachment inquiry into President Biden. The vote comes three months after the Republicans informally opened the probe, alleging bribery and corruption by Biden family members during his tenure as vice president. Nomia Iqbal reports. The Republican-controlled chamber voted 221 to 212 along party lines to approve the probe, which is examining whether President Biden benefited from his son's foreign business dealings. An inquiry was already taking place into the president and his family. The vote means the Republican-led committee will now have greater powers to gather evidence and force witnesses to testify. The White House will therefore be compelled to comply with demands for information. In a statement, President Biden said rather than focusing on domestic and global issues facing Americans, Republicans had chosen to attack him with lies and their accusations were not supported by any facts. The European Commission has unlocked funding for Hungary, worth up to $11 billion that had been frozen in a dispute about the rule of law. The move comes on the eve of a European Union leaders' summit at which Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban has been threatening to block key decisions on Ukraine. Danny Eberhard reports. With tensions building over Hungary's lone stance on Ukraine comes what could be a decisive move. The European Commission insists it's been following due process and that the frozen funds are being released as Hungary has taken the measures it had committed to to bolster judicial independence. The Commission does not link the step to Hungary threatening to block both new funds for Ukraine and moves to open talks with Kiev on joining the EU at the Leaders' Summit. But one outraged Green MEP called it the biggest bribe in EU history. The US Federal Reserve has again left interest rates unchanged. There are indications they are now at or near their peak. Michelle Fleury reports. Policymakers inside the US Federal Reserve believe interest rates are at or near their peak, even going so far as to signal three possible rate cuts next year, as US inflation continues to fade from its highest level in 40 years. The forecast came after the Fed decided to leave rates on hold, a decision that potentially marks the end of a rate-hiking cycle that has included 11 increases and has pushed the federal funds rate to its highest level in more than 22 years. The decision comes a day after government data showed price increases slowed slightly last month. The Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has said Israel will continue its war in Gaza until it achieves victory against Hamas. His comments come a day after the UN General Assembly adopted a non-binding resolution demanding a ceasefire. This is the World News from the BBC. 
The White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, has held talks with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman during a visit to Saudi Arabia. Discussions focused on the Gaza conflict and other regional issues, including efforts to deter Houthi attacks against commercial vessels in the Red Sea. Researchers say they've discovered why some women become extremely sick during pregnancy. The condition, known as hyperemis gravidarum, is caused by exposure to the hormone GDF15 being produced by babies in the womb, with the severity of illness dependent on how sensitive the mother is to the hormone. The UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has hailed the final communique from the World Climate Summit in Dubai, but he cautioned that we must hope the agreement to transition away from fossil fuels hasn't come too late. The deal calls for a tripling of the use of renewable energy. President Biden called the outcome an historic milestone, and the EU chief, Ursula von der Leyen, said it marked the start of the post-fossil era. Scientists monitoring the world's biggest iceberg say they now have solid numbers to describe its bulk. The frozen block known as A23A has lost mass since breaking away from the Antarctic coast. It's now moving into the Southern Ocean, where its melt rate will accelerate. Jonathan Amos has the details. Imagine a field of ice more than twice the area of Greater London, but as thick as its skyscrapers are tall. This is A23A, current title holder of the world's biggest iceberg. Scientists have used radar pulses from a European Space Agency satellite to essentially take a tape measure to the Colossus. The researchers from the UK's Centre for Polar Observation and Modelling say the berg has lost quite a bit of mass since breaking away from the Antarctic coast in 1986, but it still tips the scales at 950 billion tonnes. That's the BBC News. Welcome to On the Arts here on KALW. Well, if you've been listening to this station these last couple of weeks, you've been hearing on occasion what we in public radio refer to as underwriting. In the commercial world, that would be known as advertising, but underwriting sounds so much friendlier. And it is, in fact, much less invasive than ads you hear on commercial radio. And one of those underwriters recently has been a good friend of KLW in many ways, the Paul Drescher Ensemble which is presenting Schick Machine at Z-Space this weekend. We thank them for spreading the word about these concerts through underwriting and are super pleased to welcome back to On the Arts not only Paul Drescher, but Stephen Schick, master percussionist, to tell us more about this fascinating array of percussion that has transformed Z-Space into a virtual, visual, and aural jungle gym of invented instruments that are augmented with electronic sounds. Paul Drescher is a renowned experimental musician, instrument builder, and composer. He's pushed the limits of contemporary music with works of new opera and music theater, electroacoustic chamber music, and collaborative scores for dance, film, drama, and the visual arts. And I must say, a very ardent supporter of KALW. Welcome back, Paul. It is a pleasure to be here, David. The virtuoso percussionist Stephen Schick is a performer who has been described as a wizard, a master, a roshi of percussion. Stephen uh, turns percussion into a benign and exquisitely elegant form of martial art. 
He's been the music director of the La Jolla Symphony and Chorus and artistic director of the San Francisco Contemporary Music Players. He was also a founding member of the Trailblazing Banging on a Can Ensemble and Festival in New York City. And in 2015, he was music director of the Ojai Music Festival. Welcome to you, Stephen. So happy to be here, David. Well, this is, uh, I hope everyone <laughs> within listening distance comes to hear this because it's absolutely fascinating. Before we get into more of the sounds, we heard a little bit in the background there. Paul, tell us first how you and Stephen first met. Well, uh, I think I first met Stephen at a band and a can concert. We often in the, in the early 90s and mid 90s were often on similar festival circuit. Uh, the, the Bang and Can All-Stars were touring and my group, the Electroacoustic Band, was often, uh, on the same venues. And so we met kind of, you know, as, as one meets colleagues on the road. It's not a deep connection. It's not spending a lot of time together, but you really can see, you know, I could certainly see his artistry and his enormous skill as a percussionist. That was evident from the performances that I witnessed of the Bang and Can All-Stars. But in, I think it was in 2005 or somewhere thereabouts, um, I was doing a little lecture or some kind of presentation at UCSD and Steve asked if he might have a word with me. And he had seen, it turns out he had, of course, and I was very happy to do that because I had enormous respect for him, even though I, we weren't colleagues or friends at that point. <clears throat> but he asked, he'd seen a video of a piece of mine called Soundstage, which was a piece I'd done for a new music ensemble, uh, called Zeitgeist. Uh, in uh, in Minneapolis. And it was a music theater piece where all the stage was invented musical instruments. And I did this in collaboration with the, with my longtime writer, performer, collaborator, Rindy Eckert, who helped direct the show. And so Steve had seen a video and he said, would you be interested in considering making a solo work for me um, where there was no, no traditional percussion instruments? It was all new discoveries of one sort or another. And then he sent me a series of videotapes that he had done where he was exploring many non-traditional roles for percussions. They were uh, roles where he was an actor more than he was a, or a vocalist more than he was a percussionist. And it was clear that he had the appetite and the ability to move well beyond just the role of being a skilled musician, but being into a full stage presence. And so I was enthusiastic idea. I called up Rindy and said, Rindy, this is percussionist. You may or may not know him. But let me send you some videos. He's really extraordinary. And Rindy was instantly in on the project. And that's sort of how it evolved. Now, maybe Steve has a different version of that story, though. <laughs> no, but I would, I think that's accurate. And I, but I would say that we have a connection now. We may, <laughs> we, had, we may not have had a deep connection. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but the work together has just been extraordinary because Paul, for me, is the kind of musician that I, first of all, love to work with and and I so admire uh which by by which I mean a, a, a an artist of vision with ideas but who has the skills and the temperament and the and the and and the endurance frankly to see those ideas through to complete results uh, I teach in a university and sometimes you we, my colleagues stop at the idea stage <laughs> Paul always makes these things happen on stage. Well, I'm sure that's a challenge, especially given this array, and we should be emphasized that it is an array of instruments, um, a real collection. When you began building this, Paul, um, were you thinking of specific sounds, or were you just going to go with the sound that may have come from something unexpected like a bicycle wheel? Uh, I think in this piece, we all possibilities were explored, and I think ended up coming into it. So just from a... I had two ideas 
that were just foundational things that ended up being really important uh, material for the work. Uh, the first one is I wanted to work. I love uh, temp Chinese temple blocks. I've always loved the sound of, of Chinese temple blocks. I've used them in a number of chamber works and I wanted to, but they're, they're very beautiful hand carved and complicated, not comp mechanically complicated, but they're not something that you just throw together, you know, in a shop quickly. Uh, there's a real a skill and expertise, but I wanted to come up with a way to get that sound. And so I started experimenting with wood blocks. And then the other thing was I was very interested in um, the, the, the medieval European folk instrument, the hurdy-gurdy. And I'm always looking for new ways of producing sound. And one thing I realized is the hurdy-gurdy has a unique feature, which is that it has a hand-cranked wheel that mechanically bows the strings on the instrument, which is sort of the size of a lute or a guitar. Oh, I didn't realize it was a bowed instrument. When yes, it, it is a bowed instrument. It's mechanically bowed, though. And in fact, I think it's the only mechanically bowed instrument uh, in the world. I don't think in any other instrumentarium I've ever seen is another from another culture have I seen uh, a mechanically bowed instrument, except for now our new invention, the hurdy-gurdy, which is much bigger than the hurdy-gurdy, <laughs> which was an instrument that I that I that really was one of the core foundational uh, inventions for this project. But there are found objects, too. And, and Steve is the kind of artist who, if you give him a Coke bottle, a spoon, and a stick of wood, he could probably come up very quickly with a 10-minute work that would just be endlessly interesting. <laughs> and so our rehearsals involved a lot of times of just collecting odd objects, throwing them into the room, and seeing what Steve did with them. Hmm. And that's yeah. where the physical wheel came into it. Well, Steve, Steve so what is, I, what I, I'm sorry, please, David, go ahead. No, I was just, no, please com on. comment on what I, I was good. I, I often love to tell the story that I had this in, it, you know, in image in my mind of a room full of what looks like junk, but turns out to be fantastic instrument in, in musical sounding devices. And I walked into Paul's studio on the first day of our workshopping, a process that took nearly four years from top to bottom of conversations and improvisations. And it was, in fact, an in, an, a, 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 a room full of interesting junk. Four years later, after we'd created the piece, the room looked almost identical, except that it it was the set for this piece. So restructuring Paul's studio uh, with a lot of new and fantastic innovations were was really a, 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 a you know just an a, an act of joy for all of us. Well, Steve is very much driving this machine. Uh, there are great YouTube videos of this virtuoso in action. It's like we're invited into a mad scientist's li uh, laboratory, with, complete with electronic and, and lightning imitations and uh, uh, various things moving that you're wondering what exactly they are. Uh, Paul, this is very much a collaborative effort. You mentioned Rindy Eckert. Tell us about the others involved. Well, the other thing that I was very interested in just exploring in terms of instrument inventing after soundstage was uh, finding some way to put uh, uh, motors and motor-driven devices into the piece. So that connected to the hurdy-grande. So while the traditional instrument has a hand crank, I put a motor on the wheel that is controlled with by, by the foot pedal. And I knew very little about motors, and I but I did know who to ask. And so we involved... Uh, the mechanical sound sculptor Matt Heckert, uh, who had I had seen his work uh, a number of times with a group called the Survival Research Laboratories, which is an amazing performance ensemble from the Bay Area. And I, he had been a member of that group. He was no longer a member when I contacted him, but I told him that I was very interested in collaborating and having his kind of uh, very aggressive machine sensibility as a part of our project. So he is a key part 
both as a consultant to me and my main builder collaborator, Daniel Schmidt, um, with whom, who, with whom I've worked on pretty much all my inventions for the last 30 years. And, um, and Matt really gave us a lot of insight into how to use motors, where to got, where to source parts and things like that and how to control them. And then he contributed a number of mechanical sound sculptors that are very much woven into the fabric of the piece. And the machines, while I sort of secretly control the machines off stage, they appear to, to be animated and have a life of their own <laughs> and respond to Steve's interaction with them or circumstances that Steve sets up. Oh, so you're actually performing with Steve as, as part of this presentation. Not on the stage. I'm yeah. off the stage. Right, I'm right. On the side Ignore that man right. behind the curtain. I yes, am. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only there's no curtain. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, well, Paul, this is... Um, this also has some text. You mentioned Rindy Eckert. Let's hear a brief excerpt from Schick Machine that incorporates text. What exactly will we hear? Well, let's see. Which, which one did we did, did I send you? I can't quite remember. Uh, it says fifth track. It Probably says not the place to start. Machine ending with vo- with voiceover. Yeah, that, so that's the very end of the piece. I'd sort of like to come to that a little later if sure. we could. Where, where would you like to go from here? Um, I would like to go either to uh, Laszlo Hendricks. Or the bicycle, um, the bicycle loop. I don't see Laszlo's. Let's go with the bicycle loop, and then we'll talk more with inventor Paul Drescher, as well as amazing musician and the amazing musician Stephen Schick. Here's an excerpt from The Schick Machine. From the Schick Machine, music by Paul Drescher, performed by Stephen Schick. That was an excerpt called Machine Bicycle Wheel Loops. Paul Drescher and Stephen Schick, my guests on the arts this week for their performances at Z-Space, the 15th through the 17th. Now, Paul, imagine for our radio listeners, we need some sort of a description of what they just saw. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that, that is something that brings up a very important point. When somebody asked me about Schick Machine, 
I never just play them an audio recording. It, the piece is entirely about, it's almost the, the, the synesthesia of the visual, the kinesthetic, the motion, and the instrument, the object that Steve is playing, and the sound that results. So it's really the combination of the visual of seeing the object and seeing Steve's action upon the object and the sound that results. That is what is so mesmerizing about the piece. In that last excerpt, it starts with uh, Steve bowing out spokes of a bicycle wheel. And then he starts playing drumming on a little bo a wooden box that's on a work table. And then I think he pl he blows on some organ pipes that are disconnected from the organ. He just blows on the ends of them. And then he plays a and then he drinks from a coffee cup or a teacup. <laughs> And he and he taps the bottom of the teacup, and then he and he spins uh, plates on a on a <laughs> practically. I wouldn't practically, think, but practically. <laughs> Actually, there is some plates. There is a spinning plate as well. In this <laughs> I, a huge plate. It's a very large plate that he he whacks here every now and again. Now, uh, like like you said, that this is um, with you behind the scenes, just kind of occasionally giving him uh, some extra sound guidance this isn't a piece you can just pick up a score to uh or follows a score i imagine tell us how improv improvisation is is incorporated into the work imagine there's it's virtually no written notation of the musical score there is the script the narrative that that steve speaks and there's voice he has a dialogue with voiceovers that happen periodically in the piece um in fact i'd say it's probably the text is maybe 50 50 what steve speaks and what's voiceover maybe 60, 40, something like that. Um, and, and he's having a dialogue with kind of himself. But the voiceovers are largely his own sort of memories and speaking and thinking about what he's doing. Well, for the What I found fascinating about, about working on this was that we were all working together, you know, under, under deadline pressure. And Paul was finishing the instruments and, and creating sounds. And I was improvising on those. And, and, and eventually the piece started to coalesce so that the improvisations, when coached by Paul, became more and more fixed. And so there is, there are musical aspects that happen each and every time in the same way. But they were never notated, and they, and they were they were really um, uh, you know improvisations that gradually became favored ones and and uh, and have stayed. Uh, but you know the thing that I love about this is that in when we made the piece in the early two thousands two thousand eight two thousand nine, there was a different set of world problems. But the but the notion was the same that the world was confusing, it was overwhelming, and that the, that the goal of this fictional character Laszlo Klangfarben was to retreat into a world of music and construct a world that made sense out of sounds that that he found. And um, we couldn't have foreseen that in, at the end of 2023, though the parameters of dysfunction have changed, the need for uh, sound as a and and music uh and the relationship to art as a as a as a stabilizing mechanism has not changed as, a, so as, a, as a balm is kind of timeless really yeah, you as, know. as a balm b-a-l-m instead of the other sort of balm that we're exactly experiencing um now for the matinees saturday and sunday at 3 p.m you invite kids in the audience on stage for a hands-on experience how has that gone over in past productions it's it's extraordinary we have to kick them off after around 45 minutes because nobody <laughs> nobody wants to leave and we and that happens actually at every show not just on the matinees we'll we invite the full audience on the stage at the end of the show uh, at all performances and uh, what i love is seeing adults act like children they kind of because the instruments are not traditional instruments that people know how to play and they see that steve has evoked 
unusual sounds from them, I think they feel they've been given permission to experiment and to explore. And uh, sometimes the people playing those instruments come up with sounds that we had never planned for or never imagined might be possible. Well, this is the world of percussion, right? I mean, if you left a string quartet on stage afterwards, the audience wouldn't feel to come up, feel free to come up and fool around with the viola. But somehow <laughs> the act of playing percussion invites other people to imagine themselves doing the same thing. And I, I, this is one of the things I love about being a percussionist. It's probably one of the earliest things that Homo sapiens did is uh, some sort of percussion. of the mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> in, in rhythm. I imagine that's going to create some lasting impressions and impacts on those kids. So good for you for that. The Schick Machine is performing the 15th through the 17th zspace.org. Uh, Paul, you mentioned text and Rindy Eckert. We're going to go out with an excerpt from that ending. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So at the very end of the piece, uh, when Mr. Klongfarben, our main character, Laszlo, has uh, basically felt like he has reached the end that he has actually finished his machine. He contemplates, which has been a through line through the whole piece, contemplating actually returning from his basement's uh, workshop to the world of sunlight and open air. And so that is kind of reflected in this voiceover. And before we hear that, we are having a very brief membership campaign. You've always been a very good friend of KLW, both in your support and with your art. Why don't you give us just a couple of lines on why you support KLW? Well, because I listen to KLW every day, uh, and besides the NPR programs, I hear the local programming, pro- programming like David's. I, the evening music programs completely engage me. I'm religious about listening to Sarah Cahill's program, to the Other Minds program. I love the Roots American music that happens on Saturday and on the and the African music program. Uh, so it's the only place where you can hear that. There's no other place where you can hear that range of music and and social perspectives. And the number to call is 800-525-9917 or go online to KALW.org. Perhaps select a thank you gift for yourself or to give as a gift to someone this holiday season. And tell us, tell us why you listen to KALW at KALW.org. Stephen Schick, Paul Drescher, always a pleasure to talk with you, Paul. Steve, we'll have to have you back on when you're doing some more creative things here in the Bay Area. And, well, it would be uh, wonderful. Thank you. We'd love having you. Here's another, another excerpt from A Schick Machine, and then still to come, Katya Smilnovskaya in her Christmas Spectacular at the uh, uh, New Conservatory Theater. Plus, I'll be talking with Scott Hotson, who is in the uh, unauthorized Harry Experience, Potted Potter. And coming up next, some Nutcracker for you. But here's some more Schick. It was on a Sunday that Laszlo Klamfarben found himself standing on the stair, looking up, without a jacket or a hat, the plans for the Schick machine in his arms. It was there on the stair, staring up at the door, recalling his grandfather's voice, his mother's hands, with the sound of the Schick machine behind him, clattering and murmuring, whistling and singing, that Laszlo Klangfarben took a deep breath, imagined the welcoming sun on his open face, and knew, it's time. It's time. It's time. A true performance piece by virtuoso Stephen Schick for your pleasure. 
at ZSpace, zspace.org, about those concerts this weekend and the hands-on matinees that they're also offering. Well, uh, still to come, Katya Smirnovskaya, as I mentioned. I'll be talking with one of the stars of Potted Potter, the unauthorized Harry experience. And we turn from the experimental and new to the tried and true. And if it's December, there are many nuts to crack. And boy, if Tchaikovsky or his estate were still with us, the royalties alone could fund the campaign in Ukraine. From dozens of performance dates to choose from with the San Francisco Ballet, their San Francisco-inspired Nutcracker, to the Stapleton School of Performing Arts Nutcracker, this Saturday at the Palace of Fine Arts, to a touring production offered at the Golden Gate Theater from the folks at Broadway SF this weekend, and Mark Foringer's Nutcracker Suites at the Cowell Theater at Fort Mason. There's no excuse. If you haven't seen the ballet in one shape or form, wherever you go, it will be a magical experience. And I'm very pleased to be joined now by Graham Lustig, who of the eponymous Graham Lustig's Nutcracker, to tell us a little bit more about their production. Graham uh, has been with the company since... 2010 as artistic director, a position which became full-time in the 2016-17 season. And he's really revitalized the Oakland Ballet Company, helping the organization to reclaim its position as a leading Bay Area arts institution and a first-rate dance company with a mandate that celebrates community-based programming, deep audience engagement, and organizational stability. Trained at the Royal Ballet School in London and having danced with the Dutch National Ballet and Birmingham Royal Ballet before embarking on a freelance choreographic career that has included operas, ballets, and musicals. Graham, welcome back to On the Arts. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Uh, Well, it's hard to believe that there are so many ways to interpret this ballet. Uh, Tell us about some of the productions you danced back in your days across the pond. Oh, that would be so easy. I didn't ever have to perform in the Nutcracker. <laughs> wow. Not ever. So when I was commissioned to make this production at the time for the American Repertory Ballet, they had been performing for 25 years, a very Victorian production. And they said, we want something not quite so Victorian. You know, the, 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 the bonnets and the hoop skirts and that very traditional Victorian way of telling the story. So I said, it, uh, I wanted to empower the young heroine of the story, to a, a time when she might be able to think that she could forge her own destiny instead of one that would be forged by her parents. And so this is a time of about 1915, 1918, uh, in the intellectual uh, climate of uh, Vienna, the secessionist Vienna, uh, when women were no longer wearing corsets, where there was much more free thinking. They were riding bicycles. They were fighting for the vote. And I thought, well, what better time for a young person to be able to conceive of her own destiny and shape her own destiny in this dream um, sequence, which is basically the, the whole of the ballet. The, the beginning of the ballet is she's given a rather unusual gift by her favorite uncle, a nutcracker, but in her dream state, first of all, there's a nightmare in which she has to help the nutcracker defend himself from the terrible rat king. And then we go to the land of snow and the land of sweets and we come home and was it all a dream? Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about the creative uh, department involved in this production. Well, um, we have 22 professional dancers, of course. Uh, we have about 40 local students who are performing. We uh, collaborate with the Oakland Symphony 
and we have the Piedmont East Bay Children's Choir. And as a musician, you will definitely know that it's quite rare to actually include the choir in productions. And I thought that was such a magical element in the middle of the snow scene. These angelic voices are heard and it just creates this crystalline world, beautiful, pure world in which the young dancers perform. So when I heard children, I wanted to see children. So I have a whole phalanx of dancing snowballs coming out, which is <laughs> whimsical and kind of uncommon in that scene to have children. And, um, you know, I also want to share with you that whilst we are doing this for the public this weekend, two performances on Saturday at, at 11 and, and 3 p.m., the Paramount, and another Paramount performance on Sunday at 1, I want to let you know that when I was appointed with the Oakland Ballet, my first meeting was with Oakland Unified School District. And I said, how can we ensure that what we're doing on the stages is available to the students? So this Friday morning is our dress rehearsal, full dress rehearsal, orchestra, choir, dancers, costumes, lighting, the whole thing. We will have 2,600 students there and their teachers. And we invite them to enjoy this beautiful production at no cost. And since I've been director, I think we have probably served several hundred hundreds of thousands of students wow, in the last 13 years. Fantastic. We did the same for Luna. I was at the Aspire College Elementary School yesterday with four dancers presenting a short uh, educational program which uh, spoke about the history of ballet, the story of the Nutcracker, and also gave help them. They helped us to make a new ballet, the Aspire College Elementary Ballet we made yesterday morning with four students. So, these are, this is some of the work that we do in the community, which is sort of beyond just what's happening on the stage for the Nutcracker. We should also mention that following the 11 a.m. matinee on Saturday and the 1 p.m. matinee on Sunday, the ballet will host Sweet Dreams parties. Attendees at the performance will have the chance to mingle with performers over sweet treats and lemonade and have the memory preserved with a photograph. Visit oaklandballet.org for details about that. And we should also mention that returning as guest conductor of the Oakland Symphony is Pamela Martin, who has conducted many previous productions. Uh, she is currently the Santa Cruz Ballet Theater Music Director and Principal Guest Conductor with the Master Sinfonia Chamber Orchestra. Mr. Lustig, I wish you a uh, injury-free nutcracker. Those are always a chance that that might happen, but I will make sure that people are careful, I know. And people Not will certainly... Not least a COVID-free one, too. Oh, yes, please, please. <laughs> Let's uh, hope for that. Oaklandballet.org for more information. No excuse not to see a nutcracker, but this one especially. Thanks, Graham. Thank you. Happy holidays. Well, for a different sort of holiday experience, the new Conservatory Theatre Center makes Yuletide Gay with a special limited run of Katya, a holiday spectacular starring Bay Area icon Jay Conrad Frank as the dazzling Katya Smirnoff Sky. It's another beloved San Francisco tradition celebrating its 16th year and returns to NCTC for three nights only. With songs ranging from classic holiday fare and madcap medleys to full-on disco klezmer lunacy, you'll see why Countess Katya Smirnovsky was named Best Drag Act by the San Francisco Bay Guardian. 
And who better to entice you further than the Countess herself, Katya Smirnovsky, who has enthralled San Francisco audiences for a long, long time with her unique blend of opera, pop, and booze-drenched comedy. Once Eastern Europe's most sought-after mezzo-soprano, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that was mezzo-soprano understudy. The Countess now spends her evenings crooning and drinking her way through the finer bars, theaters, and bathhouses of America. She was the winner of the 2019 Bestie for Cabaret Performer and has sold-out runs at NCTC, the, Jet, the Raz Room, Feinstein's, Don't Tell Mamas, and 18 years of monthly shows at Martuni's. In addition to Katya, I am joined by her alter ego, J. Conrad Frank joins us, and he has delighted Bay Area audiences and critics alike for nearly 20 years in such productions as The Rocky Horror Show, Sweeney Todd, Jungle Red, and Die, Mommy, Die, as well as many others, both in couture and pants. And uh, he's also pulling double duty, also starring in the NCTC holiday production show of Ruthless, which we'll talk about shortly. Katya, Katya, so nice to have you. Oh, thank you, darling. I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased to be on, 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 on the radio with me. I'm not in your studio. I'm sitting in, in my home in, in lovely Twin Peaks. But it, it's, it's just a pleasure. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be here, darling. Uh, so, so nice. So nice. A, a difficult time for, for expats from Russia, it, yes? Yes, I, I know your, your, your viewers, listeners can't see me. And they're probably thinking to themselves, they're thinking... What is that vaguely Eastern European, ever-changing, somewhat mid-Atlantic accent that I am now hearing? And that, that is exactly what you're hearing. It is the voice of me, the Countess Smirnovska, once Eastern Europe's so, most sought-after mezzo-soprano, understudy. And, and, and I, I, do, I, love, I love being on the radio, especially during the holiday season. You see, when I was a little girl growing up in Moscow, not that I was ever little, but I was young once, <laughs> long, long ago. And, celebrate the holidays as, as you do here. There were no Christmas tree trimming decorations by Tiffany, no dreadles made of the clay, no joy. No, the, the average Soviet... Some vodka, I imagine, though. Of course, vodka's cleaner than water in some parts of that, but this was, <laughs> was a long time ago. But, but it's, it's wonderful. I love the holidays here. I really, I really do. Well, I bring greetings from to you from your former director of the show who started this all with you, uh, Andrew Nance. Now you're oh, I, self-directing. I love Andrew. Andrew and I put this show together 16 years ago, and and since then I've just I've just done it over and over again. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking 16 years, Carter. It's time to write a brand new show. <laughs> well, I don't like learning new material, and frankly, people keep coming back every year. I, I'm I'm a tradition. In the words of the great Zero Mostel, ta-da, 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 ta tradition. <laughs> well, we have to have you put on your hat as Conrad, or are you Katya in Ruthless? Tell us about uh, the show Ruthless. It uh, will also do a little cross-promotion for Ruthless, which runs through the 7th of January. What's your role in that? Uh, in Ruthless, I'm playing Sylvia St. Croix, a talented agent working with a eight-year-old... Um, Wunderkin, I suppose, who may or may not um, find a vicious path to fame. <laughs> okay. It's a musical based on um, The Bad Seed, All About Eve, oh. and kind of Auntie Mame. It's a lot of fun. A cast of six, high camp, um, a little melodrama, 
and a lot of joy. Speaking of Martunis, the great Joe Wicht, who mans the piano at Martunis many nights, is musical direction. Book and lyrics by Joel Paley, with music by Marvin Laird and directed by Diane McBride, choreographed by Stacey Ariaga. It's ruthless at nctcsf.org for learning more about that, as well as Katya, a holiday spectacular with Katya Smirnovsky. Katya, please give us give us more of your holiday traditions here in San Francisco. Oh, well, you know, everyone, traditions are the, the lifeblood of the holidays, and everyone's got their own traditions. Some of you drive out into the wilderness to murder a tree and be dazzled its corpse in your living room, or or, or, or maybe you, you go hear the, the gay men's chorus at, at, at the Castro Theatre on Christmas Eve, or or, or you, you get in line for the Black Friday deals for things you don't need or want, or maybe you just sit around with your friends uh, getting stoned and eating pizza. It's legal. I don't know your life. <laughs> I don't know. But for me, I find that, you know, tele- uh, uh, programming on the television really gets me in the Yuletide mood. And I'm not talking about this, this uh, dare I say it, um, uh, can I say that? I can say it uh, for, uh, on the the Hallmark Channel. I don't want a holiday prince or or a holiday coffee starring Candace Cameron Bure. No, I'm talking about the classics with Rudolph and his gametronic elf friend, or or, <laughs> or Rich who who borrowed Christmas, or or the Star Trek special. If you uh, if you can find the Star Wars special written by Bruce Valanche, it is a joy. I mean, the author tends the bar same. <laughs> <gasps> wonderful, but wonderful. I, of course, is performing and doing my, my, my spectacular for all those wonderful little elves out there in the dark. NCTCSF.org for more about Katya as well as about Ruthless. Uh, I think you'll enjoy that adorable eight-year-old with a little tiny murderous streak, shall we say. Katya, thanks so much. We're going to go out with one of your numbers that you offered us. Um, it's not quite Santa Baby, is it? No, you see, my, my mother had had an affair with, with Joseph Stalin, the ruthless dictator responsible for the deaths of millions of my comrades. But to a little girl, he didn't seem so bad. He was like a Russian Santa, a big man, a uniform, and a list of the names and deeds of every Soviet citizen. I think that was more, more the list of the naughty than the nice, or at least in his opinion. So let's hear Stalin Baby from Katya Smirnovsky's show. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time, Conrad, and Thank you for having Katya. me. Happy holidays. Slip a sable under the tree for me. I've been an awfully good girl, stolen baby. So hurry from the Kremlin tonight. Uncle Yo Yo, a Rolls Royce convertible to light blue. Christmas list, I do, I do, stolen honey. I want a yacht 
Sambling. that doesn't put you in the holiday mood, you're a, truly a Grinch. That's from the Katya Smirnoff Sky. Katya, a holiday spectacular at the New Conservatory Theater. NCTCSF.org for those performances. Wednesday, December 20th, Thursday, the 21st, Friday, the 22nd. It's well worth seeing, as is Ruthless. Great work at the New Conservatory with... Uh, Artistic direction by Ed Decker. My thanks to also Conrad Frank for channeling Katya for us for this edition of On the Arts. Well, after several successful North American tours and over a thousand performances in Las Vegas, London's West End hit Potted Potter, The Unauthorized Harry Experience, a parody by Dan and Jeff, is returning to San Francisco for a limited engagement. Created by two-time Olivier Award-nominated BBC TV actors Daniel Clarkson and Jefferson Turner and seen by over a million Potter fans around the world. The show will cast a spell over San Francisco's Palace of Fine Arts, December 18th through January 7th. Here to tell us more is one of the actors taking on uh, one of the roles, or several, which we'll find out, Scottish actor Scott Hodson. Scott, welcome to On the Arts. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be back. Huh. Well, yeah, I guess it's, we'll have to talk about your favorite cities. Hopefully San Francisco makes the cut on that. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so were you a big... Harry Potter fan, the books, the movie, the theme park, interested in any of all that growing up? All of the above. I mean, um, uh, so as, as, a, as a Scot, as, as a Brit, um, it's, it's actually on our public syllabus here for study. You know, you can't get away without reading a Harry Potter book. So uh, I was the age that it was all coming out as we were growing up with it, and it was just everywhere. Um, so I don't know anyone that's not a fan, really. Right. Well, uh, uh, tell me... Uh, just the script, description of the show makes it seem hella fun. Mm. Um, but what school would you be in were you in Hogwarts? Well, I'll give you an insight. So uh, I, uh, there's only two of us in the show, and we do all seven books. And I play Harry. So basically, ah. you've, got the best, you've got the best one today. The other guy, Joe, you know, he's <laughs> off. He's doing something else. I know, wait. Um, and he plays every other single character. So if both of us were here, he would tell you that, you know, he's got the harder job. And whereas obviously I have the most important role, Harry, uh, I play Harry throughout the whole show and it's a very weighty part. And of course, I would have to be a Gryffindor. Okay. Well, and and why is that? Oh, well, because, of, <laughs> because being Harry, right? Exactly. We have, you know, Harry and I, the character and me, we have such an affiliation with each other. I would, I would have to be a Gryffindor. And of course, they're the bravest ones. They're the heroes. Let's be honest, you know. <laughs> Well, um, this is known as what, as you mentioned, what's what's known as a two-hander, two actors, 
Mm. Although, unless there's some sort of accident involved, it really should be called a four-hander, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> one actor, you channeling the bookish Harry, and tell us a little bit about your other your your cohort. Yeah, so my yeah my cohort indeed, uh, Joe uh, Joseph Maudsley. He plays every other character in the show, uh, from Dumbledore to Snape to Hermione. Um, any anyone you can name, he does them. So it's quite a sight to behold. He's he's a busy boy in the show. I'll give him that. <laughs> Easier for you, but you're getting the same paycheck, or is he getting a uh, you know multiple uh, multiple gigs out of it? Oh well, I mean, I'll, you'd have to ask him. As far, I mean, I, I don't. I, I, we get him. You know, we get him a nice piece of cake at the end of the show. That keeps him happy. He's fine. Ah, <laughs> keep him keep him tied up. No, exactly. That's a heck of a storyline to fit into seventy minutes. Forty two hundred pages of J.K. Rowling's seven Harry Potter no, no, novels. I've uh, never actually counted it like that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, those numbers come from the press release, fortunately. Oh right, um, I didn't count them all myself. Uh, <laughs> do you know what the scene selection process was like with the original creators as they were? improvising to people waiting online to see the show yeah well like i well as you say it it, it kind of happens quite naturally i think i can't remember exactly when the first potted potter show was written but it was pre all seven books um because it was originally written as a play or as a sort of as a, as a little skit to entertain people queuing overnight in the crowds for the next harry potter book so we've i say we daniel and jeff have added on the other books as they've come out to now that we have the full, you know, the full masterpiece of all seven. Um, so I think the scenes kind of grew quite organically, but we also have to make sure that we hit all the key points, you know, from arriving in Hogwarts the very first day to the final battle, shall we say. Um, and every other little key moment is in there. Well, I understand and, there's actually a, a live Quidditch, Quidditch match. You're going to have to give away some of that. How is that done? I mean, we, we couldn't not play, you know, and uh, I think it's, it's book four, isn't it? It opens with the Quidditch World Cup. So we just couldn't not play a live game of Quidditch with the audience during the Quidditch World Cup. <laughs> We'd be never forgiven. So are there projections involved to make it seem like you're flying or is it just pretend kind of thing and then interacting with the audience? Oh, no, we, no, we really fly. We really fly and we get um, audience members up on stage to join the Quidditch teams, depending on what house they're in. Um, and at another point in the show, there may or may not be a fire-breathing dragon. So we cram <laughs> a lot of stuff in. <laughs> well, is that the over-the-top moment that will make the audience giddy with laughter? Um, every time Joe is on stage is the over-the-top moment that so will make the audience giddy with laughter. So you're the straight man, basically, for the show. I like to think of myself as the real actor, really giving the heart and soul of Harry. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're best known for portraying Rocket, uh, also known as Private Ewan Armstrong in the BBC Three oh, yeah. comedy drama Bluestone 42. Uh, tell the folks this side of the pond what that show is about. Um, that was a sort of dark, it was a black comedy, really, um, somewhere in the realm of the masterpiece that was M.A.S.H., so that gives anyone like a, a, a sort of sense of where it was mm -hmm. about an army bomb disposal, a British army bomb disposal unit in Afghanistan. Um, yeah. And was just a, a dream job with some lovely people um, with army support as well. We got a lot of feedback from people that were in the forces that, that had impact in the show during the writing of it. And that since um, having seen the show, we're uh, very nice about it. And some of them uh, have become friends. So it was just, it was a, a lovely, lovely, fun filming gig. 
Nice. And uh, I imagine you're still involved in the audition process for upcoming shows and, and series and such. Yeah, you know, just life as a jobbing actor, uh, you're always worried that the, the, the current show is your last. So, um, yeah, just going up for other things, um, doing different jobs, always coming back to Potter because it's such a fun job to do. Well, it looks like you've got a regular gig, too, as a continuity announcer for the BBC. Now, I imagine that's similar to what we would call an AO, an announcer on duty, in terms of coming up at nine, it's this or that, and, you know, support, you know, whatever. I guess BBC doesn't have ads, per se, do they, or does it, do they? No, um, not on this side of the pond. Um, so we have, in between our, uh, it's all just, it's TV, it's not the, the radio element that I do, Um we have the, the main content program and then there's what we call would be a junction where we'll effectively have trailers for the next other BBC content, whether it be here's what's on radio, here's what's on the other channels, here's what's coming up next week. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, in between that's that, again, yeah. saying it's TV rather than radio. Is that a higher energy yeah. level of announcing that kind of hyped up more or is it stay a BBC top button, straight back chair kind of thing? Oh no! I mean, I feel. I mean, I hope my my my, uh, my boss at the BBC wouldn't. Uh, I want to stay on brand here, but um, no, they've got away from. I guess the sort of what would be the traditional old-fashioned stiff kind of approach. Um, and the two channels that we have, BBC One, it's more kind of um, we're watching with the audience. It's quite relaxed, uh, and BBC Two has a different sort of branding. But both of them are, are much relaxed with a whole range of voices uh, and ages. Um, to sort of convey that it's kind of everybody's BBC in the country. Um, and it's a really fun gig to do because it's live and we get to write the scripts and you've got to bounce off whatever programs next or coming or it's, it's great. It's, it's a really, really fun job. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Um, well, we're going to get you uh, involved in a little announcement for us after this interview, <laughs> which people will hear. But okay, in addition to a number of US cities, there's a whole Australasia tour. How much of the tour are you involved in? And is this your such adventure on such a big tour? Yeah, I mean, it, you've nailed it. The The job is an adventure. Um, it's I've been very, very fortunate with it. it it's taken me all over the sort of English speaking world anyway. Um because I, I I can't speak any other languages. <laughs> so I'll be going off to Australia. I have been to Australia with the show. I think I'll be going there again. Um, we've done, I've done something like 48 out of the 50 US states, which is just, you know, it's such a privilege, especially as a Brit. Well, can you, can you, else pl- I get? Can you play yeah. favorites there as to a favorite uh, city you visited oh. or one that you're looking forward to on the tour? Well, I mean, clearly uh, San Francisco. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. The, the, the city by the bay. Nice. Um, well, uh, I imagine you'd like to explore some of these cities, but are there COVID re- precautions written into your contract? Yeah, well, COVID are still being a, a thing. Um, obviously, if anybody in the show catches it, it has major impacts for the show. Um, so I guess we just, just tread carefully. Um, we're not locked in our hotel rooms, as far as I know. Um, we're, allowed, you know we're allowed to go out and, and sightsee and enjoy, enjoy the travel. Um, but yeah, probably just being a bit more sensible these days, knowing that if you get, I mean, it, it's always been the way that if an actor was to fall really, really poorly, um, then it's, it's critical for the show. Um, but yeah, COVID sort of refreshed that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish you happiness. Toy, toy, toy on the tour, as they say in the opera world. That's Thank Scott Hotson performing as Harry Potter and Potted Potter. 
a parody by Dan and Jeff, the unauthorized Harry Experience, December 19th through the 7th of January at the beautiful Palace of Fine Arts here in San Francisco. Scott, thanks for taking some time today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, looking forward to getting out there. Looking forward to seeing the show next Wednesday. Thanks. Go to pottedpotter.com to learn more about the show. Scott was such a terrific guest. We really appreciate him taking the time. And it sounds like it's a real fun show. Pottedpotter.com. little John Williams music in the background from the prologue from his original Harry Potter writing. We continue with our arts coverage here on KLW with the BBC NewsHour coming up in just a couple of minutes. But I do need to remind you that we are having a mini-membership campaign, more like a holiday-giving campaign. We know that you're stretched by many offers and solicitations to contribute to many things that you feel that are worthwhile. But we hope we at KLW made your nice list, and you can offer us a donation, a gift, a holiday gift at klw.org. Before you light that seventh candle on the menorah during Hanukkah a nice little final Hanukkah present would be nice we don't need socks but we do need your funds and good news we have less than $2,000 to make a match that has been generously put forward by Heidi Chip a longtime volunteer and donor to KLW for more than 35 years it's a $25,000 challenge match and we're just under $2,000 to get there Heidi loved the programs on KLW and made her gift as a bequest to help grow and sustain the station And today's challenge is made to encourage folks to make a generous year-end gift to support the future of KALW. Go to KALW.org or call 800-525-9917. When you go to KALW.org, you could browse the incentives. For instance, $5 a month gives you the choice of KLW's new t-shirts, a bandana, or perhaps a tote bag. And we will thank you with that. Or if you can offer us $20 a month, you can enjoy our popular Wake the FM Up KLW mug with a bag of bird and bear coffee for a one-time donation of $250. So $20 a month or 250 flat. You've been listening to On the Arts here on KALW. My thanks to Janice Lee for producing the show and to my guests who share their time and talents to make the Bay Area worthwhile. A reminder that our shows are archived at KALW.org and you can send me an email. I'm David at KALW.org. Thanks so much for listening to and supporting KALW San Francisco Bay Area. 800 525 9917 and thanks